you have any suggestions for a tighter way to do this or do you just want to see what happens? Um, I think I want to see what happens. They're like in clumps. In chunks, a little yeah. Bit. yeah. Yeah, chunks, not clumps. Um, so, <laughs> it's very clumpy so, <laughs> audio. It's clumpy. So, <laughs> so it is 8.47 in the morning and I'm out walking my dog in my neighborhood outside of Boston. And uh, I've never told anybody this, but for about three months or so, so it's, it's the end of August now, so all summer long, I have been thinking about whether or not I want to keep doing this show. And part of me thinks if I were to kill it, some people would be like, well, that sucks. And then they just move on and that would be it. And then I could do any number of projects that I have simmering in the back of my mind. But I don't know. There's something about this show that just always plagues me. That was me talking with producer Alana Nevins, and then me playing for her a voice memo that I recorded on a walk outside. It was during the days when we were working on this special episode, but hadn't really done much for it yet. And I was hoping beyond hope that the process of creating today's story would bring the show back from the brink. And me with it. It's beautiful. It's frustrating. It's episode 200. Keep, 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 keep me going. It's unthinkable. The show about trusting your intuition, not the conventional thinking. I'm Jay Kunzo, and I create a lot of stuff. Like, a lot. I can't help it. If I'm not writing something, it feels like I'm suffocating. So in addition to day jobs that require I create content, I've created endless side projects when I had time, from blog posts about sports to sports blogs about sports blogging, later musings on marketing, attacks on best practices, and research on resonance, short tweets, lengthy essays, keynotes and books, how-tos and how-to-thinks, stories and opinions, a phone line that you could call to vent about marketing that nobody called, and a one-line article on Medium that reached a million readers. Dozens of client shows, hundreds of episodes, and this, this podcast, this project that's always got me feeling so inspired, yet at the same time so, so stressed. And after all of that, here's a question I just can't answer about making stuff. Who is my work for? I don't mean what's some kind of generalized marketing persona that describes, well, you. I mean something much more existential. Is my work for me or is it for you? I suppose the answer is yes. Yes, I want to serve you, to inspire you, to change you. I want to help you make what matters most to your career, your company, and your community. Yes, I make things for others, but also I make those very same things for myself. I create for a stadium full of me, where we all like the things that I like and feel like feeling the way I like to feel, because I believe our best work comes when we create from our own belief system for others who believe what we believe. But but then also I have to consider that I want to help a lot more people than the people who are exactly like me. And up, down, and all around these mental threads just keep twisting. Is my work for me or is it for you? Yes, I guess. But mostly it's for me. At least that's how I feel right now. (laughs) 
you and I love to make things. And as a result, we become walking, talking collections of contradictions. We create for others and for ourselves the very same things. Wait. We care what they think and also don't care. Uh... Creating is a means to an end. And also, it's the entire objective to create in the end. I, um... What? We have writer's block, and yet we didn't forget how to write. (laughs) Our content teaches others what we know, yet creating that content is how we attempt to understand. We are part of the work, but not ourselves the work, yet we want to bring our full selves to the work. Um, okay. Gonna need a moment with this one. We are walking, talking, debating, always contemplating in a way that feels liberating and emotionally grating. We just keep waiting for a rating or a review that we are, in fact, innovating, which can be quite deflating. And so we just start hating the words that we keep stating, but we don't know what else to do. So we just keep creating. We're just walking, talking bags of interconnected thoughts and emotions all jumbled together. And as we arrive at episode 200, I can't help but question whether we should go any further with this show. All my thoughts and emotions have become too messy when I think about or feel anything about this show. Too messy to make sense of a question that should be simple, but gets jumbled together with all that other stuff. That question, what is unthinkable for? And so Alana and I thought, well, maybe we should start with a different question. The one I mentioned earlier, who? is it for? And since it's actually pretty messy, we decided not to try and answer that question in some overgeneralized or overly precise way. Instead, we're just going to talk to some real people who actually listen to the show. And so today, you'll hear some calls that I had with listeners, sometimes swapping notes about the craft, sometimes they're asking me questions, and sometimes they started sharing their work with us in ways that inspire us. But stitched into and around those moments, you'll also hear my inner monologue, or at least as close to the inner monologue that a microphone can get. In other words, my voice memos. And you'll also hear me trying to talk things out with Alana, trying to make sense of it all. Because that's how this stuff really unfolds before the polish of post-production. It's not just the people I interview. It's always, for every episode, a bunch of interconnected intentions and ideas and thoughts and emotions and ups and downs every single time. Turns out the only thing that the mess really helps make clear is that this is a mess. So once again, welcome to episode 200. Welcome to the jumble. Okay, I don't, I don't have the rights to the actual song. Just, just play the song we found. there's a very simple truth that keeps coming back that I need to remember and reprioritize when it comes to this show and everything I do. It's a very simple idea. Put the help first. Above all, above the selfishness that I have when I think about the stories I want to tell or the size of the audience I'm growing or the nice things people say, if I can just find a way to put the helpfulness, the use of this show back at the center, at the four, 
then I think everything else snaps into place. So for episode 200, maybe we try that. And maybe I'll learn again why I want to do this show and why it should continue. Here we go. One of the unthinkable listeners I called was Corey Ames, a podcaster and entrepreneur. So what is like the nerdiest, geekiest, like most excited sort of like squealing like a little child that you get when it comes to creating your work right now? I just follow a curiosity or pursue, you know, whatever my intuition is telling me to to check in on. And usually that's diving into a book on fungi or hydro Wait, give me that one. Tell me the fungi story. Have you seen the documentary Fantastic Fungi by chance? No, but you're not the first person to recommend that to me. Okay. There is a world under the earth full of magic and mystery. It holds the consciousness of nature's connection to all living things. As an example, something like that as an initial window will then take me to follow up on perhaps three or four books. That is maybe one of my most compulsive addictions is buying books. Um, and I am endlessly fascinated with how much information I don't know. Like I constantly think, my God, the planet is just so freaking incredible and we yes. have no idea. Okay, so Alana, you got to know that I'm always having an existential crisis or 12. I don't have time for the existential crises because I'm like, I have to ship this tomorrow. I'm always having an existential crisis or 12. You got to know I don't have time for the existential crises because I'm like, I have to ship this tomorrow. That I'm always having an existential crisis or 12. Because I'm like, I have to ship this tomorrow. Alana, you got to know that this feels incredibly hard all the time, that it Mm -hmm. never feels like enough, that the the same things that plague me when zero people listen to the show plague Mm -hmm. me. And I use that word plague again there Mm -hmm. when thousands of people have listened to the show, when we've surpassed a million downloads all time. Like, Mm -hmm. I think there's this portrayal. The first foray into creativity people have is you have some kind of gift or muse and it comes natural. And then folks like me go, no, 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 it's a practice. You're looking at someone on step 700, you're on step two, you have to get to step three, right? Mm -hmm. So put in the reps, do the work, close the gap between what you can imagine creating and what your skills allow for. So I just partly wanted to convey, actually you're better off just embracing that it's always hard. The hard might shift Mm -hmm. and change and evolve or the things that were hard are no longer hard, but that moves to something else. Mm-hmm. I feel as frustrated <laughs> and as exhausted. <laughs> like, why doesn't it work this way? Or why am I not seeing this result? Or why doesn't it sound the way I thought it would sound? I feel that way now. But you go all the way back 200 episodes ago. It's the same feeling. <laughs> so, Corey, you and I talked before about like getting in your head and how that affects the work. And believe me when I say... I don't have time for the existential crises. I'm always having an existential crisis or 12. I don't have time for the existential crisis crisis or 12. Because I'm like, I have to ship this tomorrow. Why am I shipping it? Not because I feel great. Not because I'm inspired or this is the greatest idea ever. It's because it's Friday. You know, I want people to take like a mean girl approach to shipping their work. You know, I I don't know if you remember the movie uh, on Wednesdays, We Wear Pink. Something like that. Don't at me if I got the quote wrong. On Wednesdays, We Wear Pink. Why? Because it's Wednesday. Well, on Fridays, I ship. Why? Because it's Friday. Right, so that's the method to the madness, if I can even call it that. 
along those lines, particularly on the shipping schedule, because that's something that that certainly occupies a lot of my own mind space, the Monday newsletter, whatever the podcast schedule that we have. How do you manage that tension between deciding what cadence is appropriate and ensuring you're working on things that feel big enough? I hold at arm's length questions like, am I shipping something big enough? Am I shipping something impactful enough? Am I shipping something often enough? By simply focusing on one very simple truth, which is the work I'm creating for you, I'm actually creating for myself. Like I'm writing something I want to exist. I'm creating episodes that I want to exist. This is why I don't quite understand when people go, I don't listen to my show. I don't read my writing. I'm like, that's the first thing I do. When, it, when I am subscribed to my own list in part because I want to see it hit my inbox the way my favorite newsletters hit my inbox to go, wow, that's so cool. Like I'm pretty sure people who love baking bread don't bake a loaf of bread and then set it aside never to sniff it nor taste it ever again. So as creative people in media, what are we doing? You mm. worked so hard and you love this craft that you're not going to even sample the deliciousness you just created or even determine if it is delicious or not. So the next time it could be better. Why not? I just think, do I want this to exist? And is it fun? Is it enjoyable? Am I finding meaning and emotion in it? Because if I'm not, you won't. I think about this myself with the cadence because I'm, I'm taking a, a break of publication on our show as an example, like a month or so off to kind of reinvent the show as it is. Honestly, much inspired from your work, Jay. So, so thank you for that. You're giving me a lot of work to do. as so many creative people I think or want to do is I tried to recreate the success of the process. I tried to take what I'd done through lots and lots and lots of time and gut feel and sometimes actual strategic purpose and then do it again, manufacture it. And that really took the shine off the apple of this show for me. next listener is Ashley Cummings, who's a freelance writer for e-commerce and marketing SaaS companies. And on her personal platform, she also writes to other freelancers. I do see a lot of business content that isn't super creative, mm-hmm. that gets attention. It's very formulaic. How can we tap into our, our creativity as like human writers in order to make sure that we're really standing out and doing a better job? So let me pull out two things. Things we see getting attention and then creativity question. The things we see getting attention, I think largely there is heat around things riding waves, things riding trends. When the wave crashes, what gets washed out to sea are the people who didn't dig into the fundamentals underneath the earth. They're just mm-hmm. riding the wave. They get washed away. And so I think they're not really long for this this world. And so I would also question how much attention and actual results. So what happens next? All right, a bunch of those people followed them. Great, what happens next? Uh, well, to escape the algorithm and build a sturdy business, a bunch of people subscribe to their newsletter, and on and on and on. What you want to do is look for people with staying power, not people who are popping. People look for spikes because it's like a drug. But the thing that makes it a spike is it goes up quickly and down quickly. What we're much better off doing is trying to arc the trajectory of our line and also really ignoring others, which is easier said than done. The second thing is the creative thing. I see creativity in a very utilitarian sense and in that way there's the magic 
I can wax eloquent about the magic. I am a romantic about it all. But I see it as a form of leadership. It's a very simple visual. Mm. It is where we stand today is broken. I have a vision for what would be better. I have no idea how to get there. I just see the mountain peak. Because in between is all of this dense jungle. And so I, as the creative person, have been asking big questions and creating things and telling stories, interviewing people and sharing and synthesizing meaning through the written or spoken word. And that is me picking up my machete and hacking through this jungle. And I'm inviting you to come along for that journey towards change. And so the way I think we tap into our creativity is we let our frustrations lead. I'm out here to solve a problem. How do we solve it? Clearly can't do what we've been doing. We need creativity. And I need to show you something different. So let me tell you a story or let me give you this in a different format than you're used to. I started the show in 2016. If you told me I would do 200 episodes of the show, I would have been like, absolutely not. Like this is a wild experiment in playing with audio and also trying to step more forcefully into my belief system about this work. And the only thing I've found is the more I do that, the more good things happen. The thing I just want to leave you with, it was really two things. One is to step as fully as possible into what you truly believe in about the work you're doing because you will win over hearts and minds far better. You will resonate far more deeply. And two is just, I just want to say thank you for listening to this weird show. I love listening to it. I've been, you know, I've been listening to it a lot and I think it helps me get my creative juices flowing. It's got a lot of interesting like angles and yeah, I've been really enjoying it. So thank you. Thank you for your podcast. You gotta know that this feels incredibly hard all the time. The work I'm creating for you, I'm actually creating for myself. Creating for you all the time. I'm actually creating for myself all the time. This feels incredibly hard all the time. I just want to say thank you for listening to this weird show. Check one, two. Um, Okay, where do we want to go next? So it is now December 6th. and I, and I know that because when I started working on this episode, I was 36 and, uh, and now I'm 37 <laughs> because my birthday was yesterday. So a full year has not passed in making episode 200, but it kind of does feel that way. Copy paste that sentiment across every single episode I've ever made for this show. Uh, and it's not that I just work and work and work on the show. It's that, that there's just so much stuff that gets in the way between working with and for clients and other projects I'm working on and things in my home life, you know, kids are sick and I got to stay home with them or I just want to take some time off and take care of myself for a damn change. There's just, it's a lot that goes into making this show. Um, and it doesn't all look like the process of, of making, but it of course is part of the process, I guess. So do I, do I want to keep doing that? Next, I called listener Michael Ashford. He's a podcaster, a director of marketing for a tech company, and a public speaker. His show is called The Follow-Up Question, which explores how to listen and communicate better by asking better questions. I asked Michael if he'd share a bit of his work on that show with us today, something that made him proud. And here's what he brought to our call. So 
This is a conversation that I had with a woman named Denise Woods. She's a Hollywood voice coach, uh, has worked with Will Smith and Halle Berry and Idris Elba and Jessica Chastain on overcoming the trauma that is present in our voices. Her whole book called The Power of Voice is detailing all the ways that our voice reflects different traumas in our life and how we can work through that and how we can produce our true, authentic, literal voice and figurative voice through working through that trauma. And with that context in mind, here's the clip from Michael's show, The Follow-Up Question, and his interview with Denise Woods. On the topic of intentionality, mm-hmm. I came into this interview with the intention of asking you a very specific question about something you put in your book, and I want to read it to you. Okay. It's on page 220. I'm going to read the part that I highlighted. Sadly, we rarely have two-sided conversations in this country. No one is listening or taking in the other viewpoint. No one is taking a breath. We are all so exhausted from our own diatribes that we can't even hear other people anymore. But can you imagine the benefits to our relationships and careers if we discovered this lost art, matching our vocal skills to our authentic personality, being truly heard and understood because we invited others to do the same? The question I want to ask you, Denise, in a book about discovering your voice and dealing with your tension and your trauma through your voice. Why did you put this section in the book? It's titled The Other Side of the Conversation. I'm getting emotional again. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for highlighting that and seeing it and hearing it. I, I feel that, and many musicians and composers know this, that there is so much power in the silence. There is power. Uh, Miles Davis says it wonderfully. He basically says, and I'm not quoting, but he says that the, the rest in a composition is just as important, if not more, than the notes. Why did, did you pick that? Did you hear the emotion, Jay? Yeah. She got choked up. She started to cry as soon as I, I asked that question. She felt seen in a way that no one had asked her about before. And that section of that book, which, again, it's all about using your voice and discovering your voice and overcoming trauma through your voice. She threw this section in two paragraphs. It was that important to her that she put it in that book when it seemed to come completely out of left field. My goal with every interview is that the person leaves thinking, I've never been asked that before. I chose that because you could tell she felt seen for something that was incredibly important to her. And if I think back to all the episodes that I've listened of your show, (laughs) um, I go back to a couple key points that I think this clip highlights. One of the things that podcasters always talk about is you got to do your prep. Well, actually, look for the anomalies. Look for the moments where they go way off into right field or left field or whatever it is. I mix up my baseball analogies. (laughs) Things come out of left field at you, right? And then they go off into right field. Okay, yeah, something like that. (laughs) So that's one element of it. The other part is, you know, I know you're, you're big on storytelling. You're really diving into that 
you had been really big into resonance and a part of resonance that I remember distinctly you you talking about was what it's like when someone feels seen when their work feels seen and somebody goes oh they get me when I think about whether or not I want to keep doing this show I think about moments like hearing from people like Michael, where they point to something they actually made, and then they point back to the show, and they were like, either this is why I made my thing, or this is how your thing, Jay, affected mine. It's like, why would you not continue doing something that people say has an actual impact? I mean, I've I've shipped so much stuff in my career that nobody cared about. And and with with this show, people listen and they go, oh, no, I did this thing differently or better or I feel more fulfilled or what have you because of the show. So I would be nuts to not keep doing it. Right? Next, I called up Minnow Park. Minnow is a photographer and a creative coach, and his website actually says that he helps you turn your intuition into an unfair advantage. So it feels like we were kind of destined to find each other on this here floating orb in the vastness of space. And I had come across actually a Twitter thread that Minnow wrote. It was probably the only thread I've ever read and gone I feel so damn inspired by this because it wasn't just a Wikipedia page repurposed into a quote unquote story void of personality or perspective, nor was it one of those over promising under delivering diatribes about a growth hack or a system to grow your business. No, this was about something very personal to Minnow as a writer, as he reflected on, well, all the stuff I just critiqued right there. Here's Minnow reading his work. From the moment I first uttered to myself that I wanted to write, a barrier went up in my mind that stopped me from sharing anything I wrote. It took me three years to sign up for ConvertKit and another two years of paying for it before I finally sent my first email. At first I blamed myself for being lazy and undisciplined and unable to make writing a consistent habit. Looking back, what felt like a barrier of imposter syndrome was actually a protest against conforming my writing to this culture of capitalism. I didn't want to write the way I was being told I should be writing. I had to find a niche, add value, publish every week, post on social media every day to create a flywheel of customers and profits. I was told writing should be a factory with my words as an assembly line. But this culture of capitalism weaponizes us against our creativity. Every time we try to write, there's a voice questioning us, who do you think you are wanting to write? And if we manage to write something, it dismisses us with, you're not good enough, just stop trying. I call that boy shame, but there are many names for it. The resistance, the censor, writer's block, imposter syndrome. And if we listen to it, we look around for reassurance and certainty rather than doing the work of nurturing a creative practice. It wasn't until these words from Anne Lamott, I found the courage to start writing for connection and not metrics. If something inside you is real, we will probably find it interesting, and it will probably be universal. So you must risk placing real emotion at the center of your work. Write straight into the emotional center of things. 
right toward vulnerability. It's been three years since I started my blog and I've tried to write towards vulnerability, towards the emotional center of things. Sometimes I faltered writing pieces I thought would add value or gain more readers. But what I've learned is writing that makes someone feel less alone and writing that is successful don't have to be mutually exclusive. just hits me where i live my (laughs) friends incredible uh thank you thank you for writing that thank you for sharing that with all of us place me in a moment place us in a moment where were you at when you decided i just i need to say this because it is it does take some vulnerability and courage to come out and comment on what you're going through to not just move to the next piece and write that knowing you went on this journey but to actually comment on the journey almost in meta fashion i'll probably be saying things that you've said a lot of times because you are in my head in, in a lot of ways and what you've said have resonated with me um and that's been influencing me a lot this past year but I wrote this because um, I'm a part of a writing community called Foster, and um, one of the co-founders asked me to write for the publication. And I think as soon as that happened, and I saw in my mind people that I wanted to resonate with or I wanted to speak to, that's when a lot of the things I wanted to say came sort of into view. Because when you think of one person and like, can it resonate with them, it probably will resonate with other people writing on my own blog or writing for that like it's it changes it's ephemeral and it's sort of like am i writing for this person or that person and you sort of get very um self-doubting but when you're right when i was writing for them i was like no this is for this person or maybe me a year ago that needed to hear it and that helped me be as vulnerable as possible and say the thing that i heard some writers say that what you write is usually a few steps ahead of where you actually are that just a little bit, it's a little bit more idealized version of where you want to be. So I thought, yeah. this is for me, this is for other people, and I want to say what needs to be said, but we all find it hard to actually do it. I've heard the word patina being used before, you know, this thin veneer or thin layer, you know, like a little bit of dust or grime or something. There's a little bit of a, a patina of, like in our culture, this sort of chest beating, it has to yield some kind of Mm-hmm. capitalistic results or it has mm-hmm. to play into you think about it like oh you're almost like a png selling soap yeah. but your your words are your soap like it, it it really devolves and removes a lot of the fun and the art and the uh, you know that this doing it for the sake of doing it or doing it because it resonates with me and oh by the way to resonate with others and you just start to look like everyone else and at the worst you get these folks that are like 99 percent of marketers do this wrong read this thread to know how to 10x your business in 10 days like that's the absolute worst of it all in our domain and i just i felt like what this did for me is it acknowledged how many people see that and observe it and don't write what they they know they're capable of writing or at least want to try to write because that seems to be not only what is rampant but what is revered yeah. That attitude, that posturing, that, you know, and there are actual courses you see. Twitter's a good example, like where people are sharing their writing and it all kind of feels like that. Yeah, There's something, and I, that's why I use the word patina. There's just something thin wrapped around it that I can't get past that makes me feel like, oh, why is this out there? Worse, <laughs> why is this popular? The hardest thing for me to like, pinpoint or articulate was the idea that we all do feel shame 
just as humans, and that leads us to want reassurance and certainty. And if we don't think hard enough, we'll go for the lowest hanging fruit. And if that 99% of whatever template that people use has a sense of reassurance and certainty that it'll be retweeted or viral, people will do it. And it's almost shameless for them to <laughs> do it because they think it's certain for other people. And it's they're not actually going into themselves and finding doing that hard work because no one's told them that that's the work they should be doing. But they're projecting this as like, this is the certainty. This is what needs to work. And people are just desperate to want it, right? Thank you for giving me the words. You are showing me the word I think I've lacked or words, which is, of course, it's a spectrum. On one hand, you have people promising you total certainty. And on the other, you have folks who are wading into waters unknown and wading a little further out into those waters, as Bowie said, to where your toes just don't touch the ground. And right there, you're in position to do something exciting for yourself and for others. And I think our best work and the work that makes us better and the people around us better is not efficient in capitalism and it's not in a way that works just it's true just because it works and sometimes it's so nuanced and uncertain and that's actually where the best work comes from and so it's almost trusting that process and realizing there's another way of going about this than what i've seen before yeah i got an email from a friend recently who was giving a speech at a conference And inside the email was a selfie that he took with this attendee at the conference after he gave his talk. And he said that he told my story and the show featured heavily on stage. And afterwards, the woman approached and said, I'm a huge fan of that show and it's it's changed my life. So obviously I should continue it. Should I? Shouldn't I? (laughs) I don't know. You know, uh, so like sometimes I think, and and I'm having this thought, you know, in the throes of trying to get episode 200 out the door where like I had a really important client come to me and say they wanted to work with me this quarter. And and of course I'm going to, you know, take that contract and work with that client. And, um, (laughs) it's the beginning of winter time. So kids are getting sick a lot more and staying home from, from work. And, um, I'm just sort of showing up tired in general, you know, it's the Knicks suck again. I'm actually pretty used to rolling with that. Uh, it's been 20 plus years. Anyways, I, I feel like I I sometimes think I do this to myself. Like no one is telling me I need to do this show. And furthermore, no one is telling me I have to do it the way I do it. Like what if I didn't talk to anybody else? What if it was just my voice that you heard and maybe with um, some sound design and music I mean, it would get so much easier to do the show if we didn't actually talk to subjects. But removing subjects, I know, removes a certain level of dynamism from this. It's a much more dynamic and interesting and immersive experience. And and the insights are much more powerful. And the story details, too. I, I couldn't access a lot of what we access unless I interviewed people. But sometimes I think, like, what if I just removed that variable? And only did episodes involving my voice. And then immediately I think, nah. I've just hit 60 episodes. That's Jason Bradwell. He is a marketing consultant and the founder of B2B Better, which includes a podcast of the same name. I took a little bit of a hiatus earlier this year. Same with the newsletter. 
because I just found on top of a full-time job and parenting, it was just burning me out a little bit too much, more than I felt comfortable with. And being just a solo creator that does everything on my own, all the content production, distribution, everything, I just had to take a break. I know you're a new father, a young father, Mm -hmm. as am I, very ambitious, as am I. And it's something I've been wrestling with. How do you find that balance between parenting and family life and growing your career and being a success? If you'd asked me this question two weeks ago, the answer would have been different and I would have been posturing, but I'll tell you the truth. I was interviewed, the great Brian Clark, who run, who started Copyblogger and runs Unemployable and his partner, Jared Morris, had me come into their community group of entrepreneurs. And the first question Jared asked me was like, you've been through a pandemic, you're an independent agent, you're a freelancer, you have two little kids on and on. How are you doing? And I said, not well. I'm doing horribly. Like the last few years have been a drain and a, have hurt my mental well-being, my physical well-being. I've been stressed out. I've been angry. I've been exhausted. I have not figured out the overlap of ambition and parenting, except for the fact that both of those things have swallowed me whole. My ambition has swallowed me whole. And sometimes it chews me up and spits me out and I feel awful. My parenting swallowed me whole. Same deal. Sometimes I feel awful as a result. And sometimes I feel great. And sometimes I feel like I'm running again. So the only thing I've really recognized is I need to figure out, instead of trying to sprint in this moment of my life, because it all feels like a slog, I need to figure out how to move through the slog more gracefully. Sometimes that's me saying, I got to be a little worse today. I got to hope that all the reps and the muscle memory I've put in creating content to date will help me show up to the next talk or to the next episode or to the next essay stronger than the average bear, even though in that moment, I feel like I'm producing at 60% capacity. The answer, however unhelpful, is I have to be a little bit worse at the things I used to do. And I have to focus the effort that I have on fewer things. That acceptance piece is, I think, really important. And I wonder if it's influenced, you know, raising a toddler, you have to accept their many faults, right? As part of that parenting journey, they're not, they don't come out perfect. They come out as a little blob of flesh and emotion that you have to try and mold into a fully functioning part of society. For, for the record, little blob of emotion that you have to mold into something fully functioning that can enter society is also how I view every episode of this show. So, And they make a lot of mistakes and they can get on your nerves and cause scenes and you just have to accept it and accept it with love and grace. And um, I've definitely felt like that's part of my journey as well as I've struggled with patience in the past and acceptance in the past of a job not well done. But having had Ivy, you have to accept her who she is and you have to love her as she is. And thinking about it now and talking through with you now, I can see how that's now filtered into my professional life as well. That patience has emerged in my kind of day-to-day working environment. When you hear someone say that your work changed my life, what more kind of assurance or recognition do you want or need externally to keep doing it? How much do you need to hear that to be like, okay, this is worthwhile? Logically, I understand that. And emotionally, I always struggle to go, 
yes, this is it. This I've done it. I am doing it. I should just keep going. Like the answer in some, in many cases, we're looking for a heuristic, a psychological concept, an inspiring story, a person we can follow, a book, whatever. We're looking for the thing. And sometimes the answer is not to go find the thing or a thing. Sometimes the answer to whatever ails us is to persist. Just keep going. Because then you get five, six, seven episodes later, five, six, seven months later, and you get that next person going, oh my God, this is like radically transformed my career or work or life. I have a folder. It's like a rainy day folder in my Gmail where I save these things. And I think to myself, every time I save one, this will be great for the moments of doubt, the moments the ego starts to overtake the mission. Do you know how many times I've actually read that Gmail folder? I'm going to guess zero. Literally zero. (laughs) (laughs) What am I doing? All I think about is the next episode. All I think about is the next story, right? Like I'm celebrating the good when I listen to the current episode. I'm also finding ways to improve, but I'm always more excited about what's next, always. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes that's great. And sometimes it is an emotional burden to bear constantly Mm because I'm like never satisfied with Mm -hmm. my creative output. I'm getting to know my kind of lot in life as something I'm satisfied by, like my privilege, my family, my, you know, like all all those things like about me as a person, not me as a sort of avatar on the internet. When it comes to my creativity, Mm. I think I'm profoundly unsatisfied all the time. Consistency becomes a crutch. So I'm profoundly unsatisfied, not because I'm not proud of my body of work. That's not it. Mm. It's not that I don't like my body of work. It's that I am unsatisfied because just like eating food, you get hungry again. It's just that I think I get hungry again really quickly. Like so, every project I've ever shipped is like celery. It's not like a steak. Oh, oh. It's like, I, I know I ate this. I like really chewed on this for a long, long time and swallowed mm-hmm. it. And like momentarily, mm-hmm. I was like, mm, ah, I'm full. This is great. I'm satisfied. And then I like stand up and go get coffee and I sit back down. I'm like, whoa, I'm hungry. What oh. the hell happened? I'm starving. Yeah, your creative metabolism is really fast. That's it. That's it. (laughs) I think for certain types of people, perhaps, or certain projects you fall in love with, regardless of who you are, your creative metabolism increases very quickly. Mm -hmm. And perhaps it's also because you're so intrinsically motivated by the work. It's like the process is the point. So if you're not doing the process, then you're like, what does it matter that I ship that? You know, what does it matter that somebody said something nice to me at the very end of it all? Maybe it's because like when you're craft driven or obsessed with the process or the addiction you have is to be doing the thing, having now published it to have someone say something nice. You're like, I know intellectually I can very much appreciate this, but emotionally I know I should be appreciating it more. It's just that my emotions, my fulfillment comes from the act of doing it. Should we go to the next one? Let's go to the next one. All right. Do you think this is worth doing? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, I talked to Amanda Delaney. If you had to have a last meal on earth, what would it be? Macaroni and tomato juice. What? Yeah, you weren't expecting that one, were no, you? No, I was not. <laughs> Amanda is a marketing manager who has primarily worked for branded merch companies. So, for example, the merch or swag that you might get at an event. Now I'm finally in a good spot where I get to create the things I want to create. But the years that I was struggling to kind of take that leap, as you would say, from, you know, best practices to 
following your intuition and trusting yourself enough to know that what you're creating is different and better and it's going to help your you know customers grow, your business grow. How do you take that leap when there are very tangible things keeping you from that? Like finances, for example, or you're in an industry like you don't have the luxury of being able to go out on your own and say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to try this for a year and see if it works. And if not, I'll go back to corporate America. I think the problem is the word leap, which is a word I use. I want people to make the leap from what best practices say you should do to what your intuition is urging you to try. But it is my job to ensure that as you move forward in that process, it doesn't feel like a leap. And so I do things like trying to demystify the creative process to make more ambitious creative and production work feel more attainable to people who are resource constrained, are new, Like my job is to make sure that it doesn't feel like a leap at all. And I think there's like two factors at play or two kind of like sources of barriers that we face. So one is internal and one is external. Given the fact that you're asking from personal experience, which of those would be more useful to talk through? External. I was following following those people, those rebel rousers and people that are, you know, really questioning the status quo. And I'm doing all of these things that are that they're doing that's working. And what I'm doing is working but because it went against your typical, this is your job description, this is what it should be. It was definitely external factors. Sure. Let's acknowledge to start two things. Thing number one is something that I want to do better at. And thing number two is something that we have to do better at. The thing that we have to do better at is acknowledging that if we try a couple of times in a way that feels appropriate to the situation, in other words, we're not like I was earlier in my career, just petulantly flailing against the status quo and saying, this is the idea, do the idea. In other words, you bring with you the right rationale, the right sort of packaging to your idea. Uh, honestly, you, you, you've you mastered internal sales and still people don't hear, or you prove things through tests and still people won't hear you. You no longer have an idea problem or an internal selling problem. You have a job problem. You have a boss problem. And so like leave to find another boss, right? Or start your own thing. So there is that like extreme moment you get to where it's like, I can't, I can't do it here anymore. The other thing I need to acknowledge is the thing I need to get better at doing, which is if you hear a story on my show and you go, wow, these people made the leap or these people broke the mold. They shattered it and walked away from it or they're rogues or rebels or geniuses. Then I have failed you because the line I'm going to start using a lot more and it's actually in the next episode is it's it only seems unthinkable until you hear their side of the story. In other words, what I've come to, to realize, what I've grown fascinated with is all these people that do these things that seem roguish or rebellious or innovative or genius, when you talk to them, it seems logical and strategic and inescapable and smart or even safe. And so the job that we have is to make sure that whatever forces are at play around us that might stop us from proceeding, that they see it as all those things too. You have to start with showing how your ideas are going to get what the boss, the client, the peer wants. Not, you want the wrong thing, boss. Do it this way. Rip the Band-Aid. That was my problem before. Right. (laughs) That has been my problem throughout most of my in-house career, is I was so convinced that my ideas were it that I couldn't see why someone else couldn't see it that way. Creative people driven people we sell our ideas because we're so excited and so convinced and the goal is to not do that is to hold back on that impetus to put the idea last and instead to sell why your idea should exist 
And then at the very end of that, you can reveal what it is. The what matters far less than the why. Well, I have a quick question after the, which maybe we'll go at the very end, okay. which is like, do you feel like these conversations have helped? I like, I like, by the way, just production. No, I like moving out of the last clip with a guest and into that question. That's a good way to come to the ending. Happily. Yes. But I don't oh, think good. maybe for the reason that some might suspect, I think the thing that is giving me the most hope is the fact that, and I'll phrase it this way, for dramatic effect, because we're pulling back the curtain on how we produce things here. The thing that's giving me the most hope about continuing the show is that so many people who listen to the show are experiencing moments of no hope. <laughs> very dark. Very dark. Let me explain that. Let me explain that. What I mean is the audience I want to serve. You know, like when you design something strategically, creatively, there's three questions that you need to answer. Who is it for? What is it for? How will we know it's working? Who is it for? What is it for? How will we know it's working? We took the show essentially like by the shoulders, this episode, and, and shook it and out fell all of these brightly colored threads, all these problems that people are still facing, which means they still need hopefully the value of the stories we're trying to tell. Uh, so all these stories were shook free from us like kind of messing with the show this episode and shaking it and also like shaking me like ideas popped out of me too um and those are all story threads or idea threads that we could pull later which i think i think we should and i think like i i wanted to end now on what happens when you as a creative person Pull a thread and see where it leads you. In other words, if everything we've been doing so far has been somewhat messy and sloppy and kind of like draft, performing the draft out loud in a way, right? This next piece is really what happens when you follow that draft and rework that draft and keep pursuing what lights you up to the very end of that line. This is with listener and former producer on the show, Talon Gabriel. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is going to be great. This is going to okay. be so great. Okay, cool. Uh, whenever you're ready. And if you do you prefer to shut off the video? Do you want to do, would that make you oh, more at ease? Or I don't care. Don't care. You're on stage. I'll probably close my eyes anyway. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> this is You're in front although of Although this is uh it's it's I mean, one-on-one is like more uh intense sometimes than like for a room No, full I of totally people. agree. <laughs> I've given speeches to 6,000 people and I was less nervous than speeches to like 16 people. Yes. Totally yes, get yes, it. Yes. But um, yeah, I play, I play songs for friends all the time. So cool. it's <laughs> Nice. So Talon, you're going to sing us your latest song, which I'm very excited for. Uh, before we get into it, I just wanted to know what was the initial brightly colored thread that you just had to pull on that led you here? <laughs> <laughs> I reconnected with someone that I have known for, for a very, very, very long time um, in a new context, and they live on the other side of the country. So <laughs> I came back, basically, and wrote this song, like, right when I got back. I have not written a song, but I have written many other types of things. And yeah. I, <laughs> I know from experience that sometimes things come pouring out of you almost like a completed version of what they should be yes. or near to it. Is this one of those things? Yeah, this pretty much, I think I wrote it in like 45 minutes. It just kind of happened. 
remember having the thought of, I was like, this person's name is Blue. That is so, are you kidding me? Like, there's <laughs> so much to be done with that and just so many, like, <laughs> metaphor possibilities. And then it just phew, happened. So I would say, um, if you could just say, like, this is a song called Blank, mm-hmm. and then head into it whenever you're ready. This is a song called Blue. Why do you and I create things? Blue, all the poets wrote their hymns about you. There's hardly a metaphor left. Do we want to help others or ourselves? Blue, how the sky is heavy. You're without you. It congregates in my chest. Do we love the process or the result? Took my time to... Figure out what everybody's talking about When they sing of you blue To build a brand or leave a legacy Are we experts or explorers? Blue were the idle hours spent beside Blue is the California sun. Working or playing? Blue is the shadow cast upon your mountains when the climb has just begun. Quality or quantity? A stolen kiss, a parting line you send me spinning every time. I think that you knew Is there a best practice or just the best approach for you? And a lot could be said about the merits of red It's a hue I'm much closer to But it's you in my head when I'm lying in bed Why do we create it's all blue because we can't not is this for me or for you i don't know maybe it doesn't matter blue all the greats have done their studies of you you're a ribbon that millions have won but blue is just one Maybe all that matters is that what we make Shades about matters. you and you're my favorite song to have sung. Ta-da! Wow, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this show. Unthinkable will return soon. This episode was written and edited by me and produced by Alana Nevins. Special thanks to the listeners and friends of the show who agreed to speak with us for this episode. Corey Ames, Ashley Cummings, Michael Ashford, Minnow Park, Jason Bradwell, Amanda Delaney, and Talon Gabriel. You're the reason this special episode was so special. And speaking of special, big shout out and thank you to Andrew Davis, without whom this show wouldn't even exist. I still remember that first early morning in Arlington in 2016. 
And thanks once again to you for listening, sharing, and supporting. 200 episodes ago, I wanted to make a show about the content side of content marketing. But this show has become about so much more to so many different types of people. And no other project has transformed my life the way this one has. And I have you to thank. As I said, the show will return, but we're going to take a break of at least a couple of months. So if you want to continue your support and keep hearing from me in the meantime, subscribe to my free newsletter, Playing Favorites, and get one new story every other week. That's at jayaconzo.com, or you can use the link in your show notes. As always, keep making what matters. See ya.